Cool. You guys got anything you want to talk about? Anything on your mind today? All right. Uh, I thought we'd do a hymn study again today. Our hymn of the day is uh, The Church's One Foundation, hymn number 644. That's what we're going to be working out of today. Um, uh, again, Lutherans have just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful tradition in our hymnody in that our, our hymnody is not just a reflection of what we're feeling at the moment, um, but it actually teaches. It's an expression of, of what we believe. We can learn from it. Um, and so as we sing these things, it, it, it speaks to, to what's most important to us, but it also helps us grow in our own faith and understanding. Um, the, the hymns that we sing. Uh, we talked about this the last time we took it a hymn. Remember, there's, inside of our hymnal, there, there are really good hymns, and there are sort of okay hymns, and there are some hymns that are, are maybe not great. And we kind of distinguish them, and, and kind of a basic rule of thumb. A, a really good hymn is about what? Not just Jesus Christ. Jesus for us is a great hymn. If it is Jesus for us, I'm on board with it. A sort of okay hymn is about Jesus. But still, one of the hard parts is like, Jesus is 2,000 years ago, and he's ascended into heaven. And so if it's just about Jesus, the disconnect sometimes feels very, very palpable. And a not-so-great hymn is about us. And, and so just by a rule of thumb, if you're talking more about what you're doing for God than what God is doing for you, pause. Just pause and reflect. I'm not saying that you can't sing it in church. I, I, I'm not saying, but, but I'm saying, what are you taking home from it? What are you giving to your neighbor by it? Um, because if, if your hymn is just simply, God, I love you so much. God, I'm so grateful for you. God, you make me feel so fulfilled. And you're singing it to somebody in the next pew over, even if you don't realize it, because they are just having the worst day of their life and they're desperate for a little bit of gospel and they're having a hard time because they don't feel so fulfilled and they don't feel. The thing that might actually grant them a little bit of comfort is God who loves sinners. God who is merciful toward us. God who is help of the helpless. These kinds of things actually then encourage not just me and my own self, but actually let me reach out toward my neighbor. Because it's great if you feel that way. I'm never going to try and ruin that for you, truly. Um, I, I hope that you do have these great feelings. God gave them to you, and they're worthy of praise. But one of the things that we recognize is, is being part of the body of Christ is, is simply this. Um, is church just between you and God? And these other people just happen to be sharing your, your space and ruining your vibe. If that's the case, really pause, because God loves them too, so much that he died for them. The church to be the body of Christ means that what we do here, we do not just collectively, but we do for the collective. And so even as we're going through these things then, the, the sermon is not just between, you know, you and God, but it's also between you and everyone else around you. The hymns, they're not just sort of you telling God how you feel about him, or even him speaking to you, but sometimes they're you singing to your neighbor. right there, that, that God would, uh, would, would let you sing to your neighbor this way. Um, and so as we start with the church's one foundation, we're going to try our best to see whether or not this is a good hymn. Um, hymn number 644, we're just going to tackle it a verse at a time, um, because we usually kind of run up into time constraints, so we're going to just jump through the whole verses uh, one at a time. Uh, verse 1, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Based on this, is this Jesus for us, Jesus, or us? Good hymn so far. I like it. Let's stick with it. Uh, let's go Ephesians 2, 20 to 22. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. And then we'll touch on our gospel reading today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, when God would call, gather, enlighten, sanctify, and keep the whole Christian church on earth with Jesus Christ and the one true faith, do we have something to do with each other? What are we building on? We're building on Christ. And when Christ is, in fact, the cornerstone, Christ is everything that we do here, does that do good just for you or good for all of us? Good for all of us. When we insist that the church's one foundation not be us, but be Jesus, well then, when he is giving gifts, they actually do what they're supposed to do. And that becomes our everything. We don't then measure by our sanctification, by our outward works but by his grace that produced the sanctification. And so, by water and the word, from heaven he came to sought her to be his holy bride, with his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. If this is the foundation of the church, is everyone welcome here? Absolutely. They better be. How come? Christ died for all of us. How can I know that all of us belong here when some of us don't like each other? It matters that Christ died for all. So we start by looking at the places where he worked for us. And so, even if I have a real problem with you, I have to say, well, God washed you and called you holy. So the problem then lies in my heart, not with you. I'm not saying your sin is okay, but I am saying it's forgiven. You see that difference? Are you with me so far? Which leads us to a problem. I'm going to read to you our gospel lesson. Uh, Luke chapter 19, verses, uh, what is it? 41 to 48. Luke 19, 41 to 48. Jesus drew near and saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered into the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Why is Jesus so upset about what's going on in the temple? I'll give you a hint, it's not actually money. How is his bride being desecrated? You're right, but how? The truth wasn't being spoken. What were they making about? Jesus for us? Jesus or us? Would that you, even you, on this day, would have known the things that make for peace. You'd have been fine if you'd only recognized the visitation. What's visitation? Being... If I visit you, what am I doing? I'm there. 
We love to sort of say Jesus talks about money more than anything else in the Gospels. And that's mostly because we're more interested in money than anything else that would happen to be in the Gospels. Jesus uses money a lot of times as, as a reference point, a lot of times to point out idolatry, and even sometimes to teach lessons. But every single time he brings it up, it's not giving financial advice. What's he talking about? What's the Bible about? It's about Jesus for us. So here's the deal. We have to make the church then completely devoid of anything of monetary value. So no air conditioning for you in the summer, no heat for you in the winter, because those things cost money. Cool? Cool. Um, I realize that also the very same Bible mentions that um, the preachers should um, earn their living from preaching the gospel. But no money. So let's make sure that scripture contradicts itself, because that's, that's clearly our God. Um, also, um, the, the things that we put in here, things of beauty, um, just like in the Old Testament, when they were actually called to build the Holy of Holies out of gold, um, that, that was clearly bad. So when God told the people to do that, he was wrong. Or Jesus just changed his mind. Or Jesus is opposed to the Father. Do those things fit with the scriptures? Jesus who says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's not that money in the church is bad. It's that money instead of Jesus is bad. God or mammon, which was how we closed out um, the Luke 16 from last week, when we were talking about the parable of the unrighteous manager. It's not that money is bad. Money is a thing. And where did that thing come from? From God. When they were buying and selling in the temple, what were they buying and selling? Do you know? Animals for sacrifice to God. How did they get the idea they should be sacrificing animals to God? Well, God actually told them to do this thing. So, is he really mad that you're doing the thing that I told you to do? No. He's mad that you're divorcing him from being present in that sacrifice. And when God isn't present in that sacrifice, what are you doing with it? You might as well make a couple bucks. They were selling forgiveness that was supposed to be free. So I understand then, even the notion that, um, look, if you're coming into Jerusalem from out of town, maybe you don't want to try and carry animals with you, so you'll buy some when you're there. Fine. I don't even have such an issue with that. But the idea that people would be profiteering on it. Well, if you're to your business, fine. But if you're a part of the temple, then the temple is selling forgiveness. And that's not okay. So we don't sell church services here. We don't. We shouldn't. And we do this thing every time we sit down with like a wedding or something. How much do you charge for a wedding? And there's two ways to do this. There really are. We can say, all right, now, I understand that, that some people during extra services have gotten pastor's gifts, and, and they're appreciative, but they're not necessary. And you can tell real quick, because how much does the DJ get played to press play from Spotify? How many of you guys have done a wedding in the last 10 years? How much does a DJ cost? 500 bucks, probably more than that, to bring some speakers and press play, and maybe talk a little. 500 bucks. So clearly, can you do a wedding without a DJ? Can you do a wedding without a pastor? At least if you're doing it in the church. Um, how much does a photographer cost? 
More than that. You can actually do that without... So if, if we're truly selling church services, we are underselling ourselves tremendously. Because you can get by without a photographer and a DJ. But if you want to get a wedding done in a church, you actually do need an officiant. So if we truly are selling it, we're really, really bad at it. Or, look, you provide for us to be here. And thanks be to God that, that I do make uh, my, my living by preaching the gospel. But at the same time, we don't sell church services. What we say then is I'm free to do church services whenever you want because I don't have to have a second job. I don't have to devote myself to other things. I get to do it to you. When we start selling forgiveness, selling the things of God that ought to be free, we have to ask, well, if God wants them to be free and you could just give them away, why aren't you? Which was Luther's big contention um, inside of the 95 Theses that, yeah, got the Reformation rolling when the Roman Catholic Church was selling indulgences. If the Pope really is sitting on the treasury of merit and he actually could just give it all away and let everybody out of purgatory, why not? Um, money in the church is, is a touchy issue, though. How come? What? People hate to part with it. That's probably about the best description I could ever, that, that's better than I had to say. Yeah, awesome. I hate to part with it. And so, I mean, I do want to hang on to it. But if it's going to get pried out of my fingers, I want to make sure that it goes to something that makes me happy. Right. And some people have done that. I mean, today there is still selling going on in the temple. There are millionaire televangelists. That's, that's ungodly. That's sin. That's evil. And they will pay for that in the last day. Like, I truly believe it. God has said that ministers will be held to a higher standard. That I am accountable for what I say to you from that pulpit. And if I make it my aim to ignore his word, to make myself better off at your expense, he said there will be quite literal hell to pay. I'm not talking about those who mess up. And then when they find out they mess up, they work hard to correct it. I'm talking about those who take the easy route. Who say, you know what? I, I realize that um, in, in a funeral service, we should talk about Christ who was crucified and risen for salvation. I realize that we should sing hymns that talk about Jesus. But I really don't want to get yelled at. So let's just have a celebration of life where instead of talking about Jesus, we talk about how great you were no matter what. Because I don't want to get yelled at. And I don't want to get yelled at. Like, I hate getting yelled at. But at the same time, I promised that I would speak these things to you. And Jesus isn't messing around when he talks about this. Our Old Testament lesson is even, is even more straightforward with this. Um, I'm going to read to you our, our Old Testament lesson, uh, which is Jeremiah 8, 4-12. Jeremiah 8, 4-12. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, when men fall, do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not return? Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, saying, What have I done? Everyone turns to his own course, like a horse plunging headlong into battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows their times, and the turtle dove, swallow, and crane keep the time of their coming. But my people do not know the rules of the Lord. How can you say we are wise? The law of the Lord is with us. But behold, the lying pen of scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So, what is wisdom? What wisdom is in them? 
Therefore I will give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors, because from the least to the greatest everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From the prophet to the priest everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wounds of the people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed this abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among the falling when I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. This is not talking to the people. This is talking to the people who ought to be teaching the people. The scribes, the priests. They have healed the wounds lightly, saying, Peace where there is no peace. They have said, This is not a sin, rather than your sins are forgiven you. And so, it's going to go bad for them. There's a warning to preachers in this. And, and it's, it's really, really easy to say this without knowing how to blush. They've forgotten how to blush. What does it mean when you forget how to blush? It just doesn't bother you anymore. Like, you see this, honestly, between adults and kids. Um, <laughs> there, there's things that little kids do they don't know isn't socially acceptable yet, and so they're just fine with it, right? Right. When you recognize it, you blush. To forget how to blush is simply to recognize it's not sin anymore. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. We, we start to glory in our shame. So the things then that we used to once call private or in need of forgiveness, we have said are perfectly acceptable. And for those who have taught people to do that, this is what Jeremiah says comes to them. Does it matter what we're teaching our people? And this is why, this is why we sing about Jesus for us and not ourselves for Jesus. Because I will give to Jesus my heart, but show me something good inside of it. Jesus himself says, from the heart comes all sorts of evil thoughts, adultery, sexual immorality, slander, hatred, envy, wrath. All of these things come from inside of a person, and they are what defile him. If I'm just thinking about myself towards Jesus, am I going to focus on any of these things that ought to make me blush? Of course not. So here, we're really honest. And we can do that because we know that this stands not on me, but on Jesus. If this stands on me, I have to bury these things deep. I have to hide them. If this stands on Jesus, we can gather here not based on our righteousness, but his forgiveness, his mercy, his righteousness given to sinners. Are you kind of with me on this? Questions or, or comments? So, if this is the case then... Um, We have to ask ourselves, what are we here for? If we're here just to make ourselves feel good, you can do that lots of places. If we're here because God is here, that's a different thing. They have turned the house of prayer into a den of robbers. And that's not just that they're playing with money. It's that they have decided that God isn't present here, so let's do whatever we want. Here's the real question. Is God truly present in the church? In a meaningful way? Yes. And that means that when we hear, when we are here and we, we gather receiving God's gifts, like Ephesians said, we are built up into something bigger than ourselves. You got something? No? Okay. Um, are you kind of with me? Let's do the second verse then. Uh, hymn number 644, the church's one foundation, uh, stanza two. Elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. And again, this is loaded language. 
This is talking about who we are and what we believe. And you can spend a lot, a lot of time on this stanza alone. Um, we're we're kind of limited by our, our time a little bit. So we're going to keep going kind of through this. But I want to go Ephesians 4, uh, verses 4 to 6. Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called into the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. What are we about here? A whole bunch of individual wills, tastes, pleasures. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who over all, in all, through all. And this is what Jesus is talking about in the gospel lesson. Uh, Luke 19.44 is exactly his concern. Luke 19.44 They will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The word of our whole gospel reading it all circles around this one word, visitation. Of everything that's going on, visitation matters. Whether or not God is present in the church, it doesn't just influence whether or not we behave ourselves here, but whether or not we have anything to hope for in the first place here. It's sort of like when my parents go away for the weekend and I have a party. Would I behave this way if they were present? No, <laughs> that would not go well. Why am I having a party? Because I, I, I'm dumb. <laughs> oh, because, well, <laughs> I've got this place, and I've got to do something with it, but there's no oversight. So what is my will? What is my, not, not just freedom, but, but um, my, my lack of containment. Yeah. Sin. We've got this place. What are we going to do with it? And sometimes we just out and out sin, because having a party is fun. Um, sometimes we assume that if God truly isn't here, why are we continuing with this time and energy and upkeep? Because there is money being poured into it. You guys work hard to keep this place afloat. I mean, I am flabbergasted that we are not in the red. We have put in what? Organ, windows, carpets, um, roof. Church is busted up, and y'all keep fixing it up. And if God is not here, we've got to do something with this space. And so I know there's too many dirty words in the world, so let's do all the fun things they do, but without their dirty words. We'll have a family center, which is where some churches have gone, right? We're going to have concerts, but without the dirty language, without the, the provocative subjects. Because rock and roll is absolutely always best when you take away sex and drugs and rock and roll. All of the best songs have, have always come from that. No, um... Because, because movies are, are, are just too full of, of topics, which is why when we start the idea that if Christians have to buy this or they'll feel like less of Christians, obviously we'll put our best work forward in making good art. No. And all of a sudden we're profiteering on just a whole different crowd. If you're really Christian, you'll buy our album. If you're really Christian, you'll watch our movie. Well, that's... Are you buying and selling? <laughs> it depends whether or not God is here for you. If God isn't here and you're just sort of making a buck because you want to have a sort of rated G environment, yes, you're buying and selling. 
If God is here and working through these things, that's one thing. So did God promise to work through them? That's the real question. Visitation. Is God present in what's going on here? And how would we know that he is? There's two ways God is present. There's Lutheran, so at least we, we make a, a proper distinction with this thing. God is present in the working of the law, and God is present in the working of the gospel. In other words, God has set up the world to function a certain way. And so, sooner or later, if I decide to live a life of crime, I might get away with it for a little while. What's going to happen, though? Am I ever going to be truly content by it? Because I've made money my God, and my God doesn't seem to do enough stuff for me yet, so I've got to get more God. And honestly, who am I hurting along the way? I can see God at work through this. He says, don't do it, or else bad things will happen to you. That's the very same God who promised false preachers you are going to get yours by false preaching. And a lot of them do. Because here's the thing. I mean, I can tell you that if I just lay my hands upon you, your Alzheimer's will go away, but I'm not willing to do that for less than $500. But I'm not going to be able to stay in Windside long doing it. Like, I'm just not. Um, I, I can sell you all kinds of books that tell you if only you behave like me, you can have a mansion like me and a smile like me and a wife like mine and, and a life like mine and, and these are the, the, um, the ways to, to be the best you or, or any other kind of chauncey title I can come up with at the time. But if I have not talked about Jesus and I was supposed to be, the Lord says there will be an account to pay on the last day. Like, who thinks I have closed communion at this church because it's really, really fun for me to disappoint you and then get yelled at later? I firmly believe that there are not churches who practice open communion. And I can know it because even when I go to the churches inside of my own synod that say, you know, y'all come to church communion if you love Jesus because who am I to judge? They don't give communion to their kids. That's weird, right? Are they saying their kids don't love Jesus? No church has open communion. They have don't yell at me communion. Because nobody likes getting yelled at. In the same way that if I see my kids misbehaving, I'm going to talk to them. But if I see somebody else's kids misbehaving in the store, that's, do I really love those kids enough to deal with that? And all the fallout from it. They have don't yell at me communion because they would rather make people happy, even if it leads to hurt, than actually reach out and sacrifice for them. If you honestly think I have fun practicing or close communion here, think again. It's the thing I hate the most. I, I mean, I, I, I despise it because it makes people mad at me. And I don't like it when people are mad at me. Why would I do it? Because God has said this is dangerous for them. So dangerous that they could get hurt. To the pastors who don't do it because they don't want to get yelled at. Yeah, he threatens. Like he, The scripture is so clear they would be held accountable on the last day. We have to ask why it is we do what we do here. Is God present? Because if he's not, you can't get hurt from it. Don't worry. If he is, let's actually act like God is here. The word that matters is visitation. Is God actually present in church in a meaningful way, in a, a way that's different from the way that he is any other place? What do you think? He's present in his church. He's present in the world, and you see it in the working of the law, but something really unique happens in the church. He's present in the church in the working of the gospel. 
And so when God is present here, something different than anywhere else in the world happens. Sinners are forgiven. 1 Corinthians tells us it's not the cup of participation in the blood of Christ. You're actually a part of this, this act of forgiveness, a part of this victory over sin and death and the power of the devil. God is present here working in the way of the gospel. And that changes how we do business here. Are you with me on this? Questions or, or comments? The gospel originates in the church. All the world occupy, uh, occupies itself with the law. And it has to. I mean, it has to. That's not that the law is bad. I can have a house right here that I can live in at the end of the day safely because of the law. Right? The law is good. We have to occupy ourselves with the law out there. We have to. Otherwise, there would be no society. There wouldn't be no safe place to preach the gospel. But here we focus on the gospel. It's not that the law has gone to us here, but it's that the gospel predominates because this is the only place where that happens. And so here we actually say that even criminals are worthy of eternal life. Even the ones who would hang next to Jesus for crimes they did commit. Being near Jesus, recognizing the visitation, is to recognize that there is gospel for sinners. That changes how we behave. It changes our focus. It changes our everything. Are you with me on this? Questions or comments? Let's keep going. Verse 3, stanza 3. Though with a scornful wonder men see or sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up how long, and soon the night of weeping will be the morning song. Uh, what kind of world do we live in? Sinful world. You actually don't need a hymn to tell you these things. Which is why songs about us, I mean, they feel good. Like, my favorite songs are about me because it's my favorite topic in the world. But nobody actually needed a hymn to tell you the world's a busted up place. I do need one that tells me Jesus loves me inside of it. Isaiah 6, 8-13. to Isaiah 6, 8-13. to I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And everybody wants to stop reading right there because it's comfortable. And look what I'm doing for you, Lord. And he said, Okay, go and say to the people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, and the house is without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes the people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is falled. Yet the holy seed remains in its stump. So Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me on a mission trip. Here am I, Lord. I can't wait to do cool stuff for you. And the Lord says, awesome. What kind of stuff do I get to go and say to the people? Stuff that makes them feel good? Go and make them dull in their understanding. Go and say to them that everything's going to fall apart. The reason we stop reading with this is because it's uncomfortable. We talked about this Wednesday. Does God want to see even the wicked die? Does he expressly say, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they turn from their way and live? 
The answer is in that last little bit. The holy seed is in the stump. The stump of Jesse is Jesus. The seed born of a woman who would crush the head of the serpent forever. Make sure the people understand there's only one thing in the world that's going to save. It's not money. It's not power. It's not any of those things. It's Christ and Christ alone. But Christ brings life even out of death. Look here and there's life. Look anywhere else and it falls apart. If you want to look to those things for hope, how's it going to go? What is the damage of heresy, of false doctrine, of even heterodoxy? What is the damage of false doctrine? It, it turns people from the one thing that can save. I'm not saying that if you don't pass the test, you go to hell. I'm not saying that if you can't, you know, um, immediately determine between the genus myostaticum and, and the genus... Um, uh, uh, no, I can't go to heaven. That's too bad. Uh, <laughs> If you can't do these things, you're out. But I'm saying that if you want to focus on things that don't save, well then, as it turns out, you're not going to find comfort. False doctrine points us away from that which is helpful. And it makes us secure in it, which is worse. Because if I say I have no idea where help could be, and somebody comes along and says, help is in the Lord, I say, cool. If I am convinced that I don't need help from the Lord because I have help and money, it's going to be a whole lot harder for me to pay attention. So much so it might be easier to fit a camel through an eye of a needle. If we want to keep our eye on other things, well, that's going to be our treasure. When we look at the passion of the Christ, we actually start to see this. The hope, the hope is not in what the disciples were thinking it was going to be when Jesus wrote in on Palm Sunday. The hope was on the cross. Did Jesus spend quite a bit of time all along the way saying the Son of Man is going to ride into Jerusalem and die and on the third day rise again? This was not a curveball. To pay attention there is to find great hope in the cross. To not pay attention there, to look to power, to look to wealth, to look to all the other things, it seems like the whole world's falling apart and God can't be present in it. That's the danger of false doctrine. It points us away from God's promises to the ones that we would make to ourselves. And I've promised myself a great many things. I'm totally going to work out later. What's the problem? I'm a sinner. And I don't know everything, so even when I promise myself it's all going to be okay and I don't know it, sometimes by those standards it's not. When we look to Christ who works these things for us, then we start to look to him to hope. Is Christ risen from the dead? Will I rise on the last day? Will everything be okay because of that? Yes. Even though everything else fall apart, the holy seed is still in the stump. People are blinded because they're so focused on themselves. Would that you in this day had known for the things that make for peace. Like Jesus. So how do we wait for the Lord then? Patiently. How are we taught to be patient? Through the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit work? Through the receiving of gifts. Through, through the word which promises us. And we need to hear it over and over again. Same way your wife needs to hear I love you more than once. She does. It's comfort. It's a joy. It's a gift. The idea that we'd only need this thing once and then be done. No. That's not who we are. And we receive that comfort. We receive that patience in 
of God being present here. So it's not just like God made you and God will see you up in heaven. Be patient. God is actually present here all along in, in the sacraments for us. We're not on our own. When, when we wait for the Lord, we wait with the, the understanding that he has not abandoned us. But even now he is present. And when we see that, we have a great peace. Was Jesus present in the temple even when the people were doing it wrong? If they'd have looked to that, it'd have gone a lot better. Are you with me? Questions or comments? Let's keep going. Uh, stanza four. Through toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore, till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Um, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 which is, is a verse that you, I'm sure you know. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How is a present God the answer to the church's victory and rest? So we talk about rest in heaven, and that's true. But is there rest until then? Yeah, we call it the Sabbath day. What did, Je- what did, well, Je- what did the Lord do on the Sabbath day? He rested. What does he call us to do? Rest. Not rest as in do no work, but, but rest as in receive rest. Be within sheltered walls. Receive holiness. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, which means we should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it because this is where our rest is actually given. If God is present here, truly present, if he visits his people, it changes everything. We don't wait for God to be present, but for the last day. We do wait for the last day. I can't wait for it. Truly. I have to die for that to happen, though. Like, even if Jesus comes again, my body has to be transformed from a mortal body to an immortal body. Right? Even if Jesus comes again before I taste death, this old self, old self still has to pass away. But it, not just that it happens quick and painless, but that it already happened in baptism, even. I died when I was 19. And I've died every day since then. Every morning, I wake up, and I should do one of these, recognizing that the old Adam inside me must daily drown and be put to death, that the new man inside me should rise and live before God in righteousness and purity forever. We do wait for the last day, but we don't wait on our own. Now we are victorious. Here God gives rest. And soon we'll have the fullness of it on the last day. But those three things aren't divorced from each other. Now you are victorious, otherwise you couldn't have any of the rest. Now God is present for you, otherwise you'll never make it to the last day. And on the last day, when you finally do see all these things face to face and recognize fully the joys that have been given to you, it is only because God was present all along. They're connected. Are you with me? Questions or comments? Concerns? All right, last one. We got time. I'm actually going to finish a Bible study. 
Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one, one mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O blessed heavenly chorus, Lord, save us by your grace, that we like saints before us may see you face to face. What's the promise then to be near Christ? To be with him is not to be alone. And to be with him is to be with everyone else who is also with him too, the heavenly chorus. And so we can have readings like Revelation chapter 7 where the Lord um, speaks through the prophet or the the apostle and says, who are these coming out of the great tribulation who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb? Give them names. One of them is named Harrison. One of them is Harlan. These are us. The joy of this thing is that we are actually connected to God. He is present with his people and he drags along all of heaven with him. Because heaven is not an absence of bad things, but a presence of something good. The presence of Christ. We are not alone. Even the saints sing with us. And they sing for us. If we're going to talk about peace, the things that make for peace, we talk about peace, but we usually just mean quiet. We confuse peace and quiet. I like quiet. I like when nobody bothers me. And I can lay in the hammock and read a book. It's a fantastic thing. So much so do I like quiet that I'm willing to confuse it for peace, which can even exist in great noise. Peace. Peace is not based on my surroundings, but my God. And so I can say something like, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you Whatever you're going through, is God there too? That's the real question. Because if he's not, I have to measure that peace by whether or not bad things are happening. But if no bad things are happening, I don't need God in the first place. If no bad things are happening, I must already be perfect because I haven't done anything bad. And everybody else must be perfect because they haven't done anything bad either. Is God willing to dwell with sinners? Is God willing to be here for sinners? And there's peace. Peace and quiet, not always related. We love quiet. Good. I love quiet. But can I have peace even now? And give you peace, not now though. Go home. No, it's not what it says. It's not why I wouldn't be here otherwise. Like really, there's there's better things to do. And, And honestly, I'm too infatuated with the things of this world to want a PG family center. I like movies where things blow up. (laughs) I use too many dirty words. I'm a sinner. And so if I'm going to build a house to myself, it's going to look awful sinful. Here, I come to actually have something that endures, something that's bigger than my wants and my desires. I come here to receive Jesus because look at what I would do to myself if I wasn't. The things that make for peace are the visitation. God being present for sinners. Any questions? Comments? All right, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all very much.